This morning, we have a few things that we need to do to prepare for today's message. How does your garden grow? We're going to be talking about gardening today. So first thing I need to do is put on my hat. Is not that a darling hat? <laughs> it's not mine. It's Laura's. Yeah, but she let me borrow it for today. And so we also need, um, I don't know what this thing is called, but it's a great back scratcher. A trowel? A trowel? Okay, okay. A trowel. So we need a trowel. We're going to need that this morning. And we're going to need our handy-dandy gloves. So, because we want to protect our nails from the dirt. So we need gloves this morning. So we have all of those things in order. So today I want to talk to you about gardening just a little bit. Um, so my foundation scripture today is one of my all-time favorites. And when I was reading over this message yesterday um, in, in prepping for it, I, I said to myself, oh, this is my all-time favorite scripture. And then immediately it was like, well, wait a minute. And I thought Wings as Eagles was your all-time favorite. Well, what about, and, and what, yeah, well, so I love them all. So I guess I don't have just one favorite scripture. Thank you, Lord. I love them all. So, but our foundation scripture today is going to be found in Psalms 51 and 10. And this, this scripture really does minister to me um, because I've called on it so many, many times in my life. And it's 51 and 10, create in me a clean heart. And a lot of times I read that and I say, create in me a clean heart. Oh, God. And renew a right spirit within me. Other times in my life, I can just read that and say, create in me a clean heart, oh, God, and a right spirit. But there are times that I have to say, oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> Nobody else can do that in me but him. So creating me a clean heart. Spring was one of my grandpa's very, very favorite time of year. My grandpa lived in Lansdale, Pennsylvania. So he was clear across the country from us. The first thing that he would do in the short, dark days of winter is pre-order his seed catalogs. Those catalogs would help carry him through the remainder of winter, anticipating the growing season. My grandpa was an amazing gardener. Every year in the dark and dreary days of winter, my grandpa and I would start chatting about the upcoming gardening season. Our burpee catalogs would come, and we would plan what this year's garden would look like. He was a master gardener. <laughs> his soil was well-tilled, his lines were straight, everything was strategically planted, Oh, my grandpa was amazing. He even had this cute little picket fence around his little garden. His little garden space was about that big. And he grew so much stuff in that space. But he had this cute little picket fence that was all the way around his garden because Mr. Hare came by the neighborhood and loved to visit with Grandpa Spinach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He would, he would tell me of times that he trapped it. My grandpa could not kill it. So my grandpa would trap it. And then he would drive out into the country because my grandpa didn't live. Lansdale is kind of a rural, rural area, kind of like where we live. And so he would go out in the country and he would set Mr. Hare loose. And I think Mr. Hare always found his way back. 
yeah. So, uh, so he had this great little picket fence, and no weeds dare grow in my grandpa's garden. None. There was never a weed to be found in his garden. Um, they knew better. Grandpa and I talked many times throughout the growing season, comparing our, our plants, con comparing very, um, vegetable varieties that we had planted, and also our harvest. My gardening experience was a much different picture than my grandpa's. This would be my grandpa's. This would be mine. And if you can't tell, now she's trying, or he's trying to pull up a dandelion, but there's a little strawberry plant in there somewhere too. So that's what my garden ended up looking. However, my garden started out beautiful. Everything in rows. I would start out strong, preparing my soil that was once an alfalfa field. Can you relate? So you know what happens when you're tilling up an alfalfa field, an old alfalfa field, trying to grow something in it? Yeah, I had all kinds of stuff coming up. Um, but to begin with, I had no weeds, my ground plowed, my rows were straight, my plants were strategically planted to allow for the most productivity and a huge sense of accomplishment when I looked at the beginning of my gorgeous garden, which was more like this big. It was ginormous. I eagerly anticipated plant growth. I watered my beautiful ginormous garden from the ditch that my grandpa was so jealous of. My grandpa came from Pennsylvania to visit us one year, and when he saw how Gary watered the lawn and watered our garden out of this endless supply of water that just run down the side of our property, he was so envious. My grandfather, because they sometimes, um, they had problems with getting water and that kind of thing, my grandfather would wash his dishes he would wash them and then rinse them in dishpans. And he would take that water, and my grandpa was a little bent over, he would take that water and he'd take his dishpan and he'd go all the way out, he'd go out and probably out to the street is where his garden would be located. And he would pour that water as to not waste one drop of it and then come back in and get the rinse water and do the same. Cute little old man. He's just cute as a bug. <laughs> so he, boy, when he saw that ditch of, of water that never ends until October, yeah, yeah, he could only dream of such a thing. Excitement filled my heart as the little seedlings began to grow, and I would go out in the cool of the evening, and I would spend time in my garden. It was magical. My cute little plants were there. I would pull those nasty little weeds that were coming up because... It was an alfalfa field. And again, a huge sense of accomplishment. But as summer grew longer, the days grew longer, boys were out of school, my days were getting busier and busier, and less time was taken in the garden. I would go out and water it because that was easy peasy. <laughs> if I really was pressed for time, I would just set a sprinkler out there and we'd be good. We'd be watering the garden. A few weeds would begin to take hold and I would go out there and glance at them and try to pull, you know, while I was setting the sprinkler or what have you. Um, I would try to stay on top of them, but they just kept coming. 
And by the time harvest time had come, my garden had amazing produce, but it was hidden with all the weeds. Yeah, I would have to dig through there um, and, and try to find what was either rotted on the vine because I couldn't find it due to the weeds, or they were just, it was simply, you know, uh, it overproduced and I didn't get there in time to pick them off. So they would just rot on the vine. And so goes my story every year for gardening. I had, I started out strong. Ugh. And I got to tell you, I think that's kind of how I am in a lot of areas of my life. <laughs> oh, true confession time. Um, I'm what they call a sanguine, my personality type. And so I start everything with great gusto. And if I don't get it completed within a few days or a week, I just don't usually finish. <laughs> like it took me, um, I think it took me 12 years to finish Pastor's Afghan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and he just never let me forget about it. It's, it's winter time. Are you going to start working on that Afghan again? Oh, sure. Yeah. So I'll bring it out, put it by the side of the couch. And sometimes I'd get to it, sometimes I didn't. Obviously, it took me 12 years. Um, but anyway, that kind of typically is, is how I, I run. I try not to. I know it's a fault, and I'm dealing with it. So um, currently, I, I container garden, and so I have all these little containers, and Gary's like, honey, what have you got growing in here? Because um, like, if I get a squash from the grocery store, well, I'll take those seeds out, and I'll... <laughs> I'll plant them. <laughs> and so then I forget which plant I planted what in. <laughs> sometimes I have pepper plants coming up, and sometimes they really are zucchini or acorn squash or just whatever. But I love to watch things grow. It just gives me this great sense of accomplishment. When the boys were young, we um, in the house that we used to live in, it had a south-facing south window in the kitchen. I had this big kitchen table. And on there one year, I decided that I was going to grow a watermelon in the winter. And I did. I did. I didn't really grow a watermelon, but I grew a really great watermelon plant <laughs> that went, spanned that entire window, was just back and forth weave with my watermelon plant. But I like to grow things. This morning, I want to talk to you about a few things that I have found in the garden of my spirit man. That's the focus of my, my, my message this morning. The Lord shared these thoughts with me at a Hope Restored Ladies Retreat in 2008 when a friend of Sandy's, and mine now, had written a book and brought it with her, and the title of it was The Pains of Prayer by Pam Chacon Butler, who's just a happy little camper. Some of you might remember Pam. Pam came and, and preached for us several years back when we were meeting at the school. So I'd like to read to you her introduction in this book because I just, it, it, it encapsulates so much. She said, my relationship with God is one uh, that is ever increased and changed. And I think we could all say that our relationship with God, it should be, you should all be able to say that your relationship has increased and changed with God. Every day I have tried to take what has come across my path and use it as a learning experience. In the good and the bad, I have tried to understand more about the God that I serve. And this is her book of experiences 
about those trials and, and tribulations that she has gone through. So I took some excerpts from her book, and I have her permission. So, <clears throat> so um, I love that Jesus teaches us in parables. Those really minister to me because those are things that I understand. They're, and that's why he used them. He used them so that he could teach everyday common lessons that had a spiritual attribute to it. So today we're going to talk a little bit about gardening. In Proverbs 4 and 23, it says to keep our heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Another translation says, guard your heart more than anything else, because the source of your life comes from it. That applies to our physical being because we need our heart, of course, to pump the blood through our bodies. But we also need to apply that same um, principle to the seat of our emotions or our spirit man. When we pray, God starts tilling up the hardened ground in our heart and begins to reveal some things that are undesirable in our garden's heart, in our heart's garden. So let's look at, the, at gardening this morning, and we may find a few crops that are growing up because of what is already taking up, a few crops that are not growing because what is already taking up space in our garden. And the first thing we're going to talk about is dead things. <laughs> I love my, my dad my dad-in-law, but daddy came from the old school where if you started something, you just did it, and you wrote it even when it was dead. You just continue doing that because that's the old school way of doing it in church. If we start something by George, even if it's run its course and it's no more, no more applicable, we still keep doing it. That's the way daddy was raised. And so that's kind of how daddy was when we went to church. But many of us have dead things sitting in our heart garden from past harvests that have dried up and are dead but still have not been rooted out of our garden. They sit there and take up space. What was once glorious and fruitful may now be dead. So let it go. Pull it out and get rid of it. You need the space for what God is trying to do in your life. God has plans for that space in your garden, but we need to get rid of what's dead first. God has a fresh, alive, and vibrant plans for that space in our heart. Allow him through prayer to help you clean it out. The next thing we find is some weed seeds. Weed seeds. These weed seeds are very interesting and come to our garden in a variety of ways. Some come through our eyes, some come through our ears, and still others come through our own mouth. What we say, we can plant seeds. Pictures, images, movies, even commercials can all be seeds sown into our garden. I despise the month of October. October is an icky month because they start showing scary movie clips. And even, even the commercials can take on kind of a satanic tone. And Gary has always been so good about when something like that comes on, He'll mute it, change the channel, so I don't have to hear it and I don't have to see it. Because if I hear it and I see it, 
I know because I've lived long enough, the enemy brings those thoughts back to me in a very untimely place. When I'm outside at 1230 at night by myself and Gary is in the far end of the house asleep. I'm out with the dogs. So those things come to my mind, but if I don't allow them in, I don't have to deal with them. I don't have to deal with those weeds. I'm a little ahead of myself. What we see is sown in our heart's garden, like taking the dogs out at night. Um, pastor, talked la- <laughs> pastor talked last week about, you know, when you, when you were a kid and you were in the bathroom and you hurry up and you got done in the bathroom, you wash your hands and you turn that light switch off really fast and you run. I did that as a kid because there were some spooky things that I was influenced with as a young child that scared the tarnation glory out of me and you don't, you don't be in the dark if you don't have to. Well, obviously some of those things carried over into my adulthood. Um, I take a nightlight to a hotel room. <laughs> if Gary's not home, I leave the living room lights on. I just, I don't like the dark. So that's, that's just me. Um, if I don't allow those images in, I don't have to deal with them later. And words are like seeds as well. What we hear enters into our heart. And what we say can plant seeds in our hearts and wrong seeds. We can choose the seeds that we plant and remember our words plant our seeds. Choose wisely what words you're going to plant. And you know, that's also true for what we're planting in others' garden. Because the things that I'm saying are going to be planting seeds in others' garden, other gardens. My kids growing up, my boys. Personally, I think I have the three most phenomenal sons in the whole world. That's a give. So when they were growing up, I always told them, you have enough people in this world that are going to fight against you. You do not need to be fighting against one another. Those are words that I shared to my boys. I didn't, I didn't try to provoke them to anger. I did not try to put competition between the three of them. I did not try to make... Houston is my absolute favorite oldest son, <laughs> period. And then Cody is my absolute favorite... We used to call him a blondie boy. He used to be blonde. He was my favorite middle blonde son. And then DJ... Hands down, the favorite redneck redhead. <laughs> so, so we always try to make the boys know that what their position in our home was important. Those were seeds that we sowed into their garden. And I believe that they have taken up residence and they were good seeds that were planted and are still reaping the benefits of those seeds. But there's also, <clears throat> there's also seeds that are planted that are not so good. And I will never, and I hope that I never forget, there was a neighbor boy who lived down the street from us. And he had a very rough life. He had a very rough life. He lived with his mother, her boyfriend, her, her parents, and maybe even the grandparents. 
They all lived in this small, um, double-wide trailer, um, and he was not a priority. He was not a priority in their lives, and they were sure to let him know that he was not a priority. He would come down and, and, and play with the boys, and, and sometimes they, they would not, it would not end well, because he would say something about the boys' mom and dad, and they were not going to have any bit of that. Well, one day I went to a parent-teacher conference, and while I was waiting outside at one classroom at Brick School, she was waiting outside of another classroom at Brick School waiting to talk to the teacher. And the things that she was saying to the person that was with her about her son was heart-wrenching. I wanted to take that boy and just say, you know what, you come stay with us because we're going to show you what real love is. We're going to show you how to love and how to be valued. But she didn't value him. She didn't even value the building that she was in and the language that she used. It was just horrible. And so those were seeds, and I don't know what's happened to that young man. I don't know. But man, alive. He didn't have a very good start in life. And, um, and so those were seeds that were planted in his young life, in his young garden, as to who he was and what value was assessed on his life. And to me, that's heartbreaking. That's heartbreaking. That's a, that's a polar opposite to the seeds that we sowed into the lives of our sons. And so um, I just tell you, be careful. I know, I said some things. One time I told Haas to get out of my sight. Oh, my stars, you would have thought I'd beat that child to death. He was so injured because that's not something I've ever said to my kids. And when I said that to him, he was mortified that I would not want him in my sight. You know, and so something so simple as get out of my sight had a very detrimental effect on, hopefully you've forgotten that, Haas. <laughs> Scar your life. <laughs> So we need to be so careful, even in our frustration, what we say to our kids, what we say to our grown parents and grandparents, because words are seeds, and they're going to grow something. So be careful. As we all know, um, Satan can be very subtle, and his subtlety is only as effective as our weakness in any particular area. His effectiveness is only as, or his subtlety is only as effective as my weakest area. And as a mom, I can tell you that my weakest area was my kids. You don't mess with my kids, and you don't mess with my husband. And now I have six kids, and I have four grandchildren. Don't mess with my kids. Don't mess with my grandkids, and don't mess with my husband. <laughs> you know? So I say that big and bad, you know, um, but Satan knows how to push my buttons when it comes to my, my family. And so I don't, know, I don't know if you can call it a weakness to be so protective of, of the family or not, but I really am, and, and that's one area where he tries to just, you know, that always tapping you on the shoulder kind of thing, always bugging you. 
So how profound is that? God dropped that nugget of truth as I was writing this, and I must admit it took me a few minutes to digest it, and it also brought tears to my eyes. Would I have such a weakness if I were a more spiritual person? Yes. Yes, I would. Would I have that weakness if I learned to give all things to God in prayer and trust him to work it out in me? Perhaps not so much. But I'm that mom. I'm that mama bear. I'm that I'll bring them. I'll take care of them. Yes, you gave them to me, but I'll take care of them. You know, so yes, I do need to, to um, open up that gate and, and allow. It's progress. It's work in progress to allow God to deal with me on dealing with my family. James 1 and 14 says that every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And so, oh, I... Yeah, drawn away of his own lust. I'm not drawn away my own lust. I have no sexual uh, drawing away. I'm not, it, that, so this, this whole scripture does not even pertain to me. It doesn't work for me. So, okay, move on. Until I read it in a different translation. And a different translation says, everyone is tempted by his own desires as they lure him away and trap him. So my own desires can betray me and lure me away and trap me. So this scripture is not just talking about sexual lust. This scripture is talking about the desires that are deep inside me that I need to deal with because they're going to try to draw me away. My own desires lure me away and trap me. That scripture does apply to me. I get myself in trouble when I start thinking in the opposite direction of God. Prayer keeps me moving in tandem with God. You know how a tandem bike, have you ever seen one of those where there's two people riding the bike and they're both pedaling along and everything is going all at the same time. That's cool. That's cool. That's the way we need to be with God. We need to be on the tandem bike and everything needs to be going like this. But when I am not prayed up and I'm not, I love worship music. When I'm not feeding my spirit man those things that it craves, I'm jumping on those brakes. And God is still trying to move forward on the tandem bike. But nope, not me. I'm jumping on those brakes. I don't want to go any further. And trust me, I have said that in the past few months. I don't want to go any further. <laughs> I am done. Take me out. I'm done. But that's not the way God is. So I need to jump on that bike, and I need to start pedaling with him, give him the control that he needs because he's not going to lead me astray. He's not going to take me somewhere where I don't belong or I don't need to be. He is going to take me where it's best for me to be. So I need to be in tandem with God. Prayer is a process that keeps our hearts tilled so weed seeds don't have a chance to sprout and grow. And next is something that I can tell you I am all too familiar with. This is getting where the rubber meets the road for this girl. Roots of bitterness. 
Roots of bitterness start off slow and they grow deep. We keep those roots deep within us from times of disappointment, failure, and loss. Plants have what's called a tap root in which the main root, it has a main root, but from that main root, oh my gosh, I feel like I, I got a tap root yesterday that was you know, growing down to China. I pulled that weed up and the, and the root on it was so long, but there were all of these other little roots that were growing off the side. And I know what happens with those. They grow up, break through my barrier on my rocks and grow another weed. It was amazing to see this thickness of this root and how deep it actually went. In our own lives, before we realize it, that root of bitterness has grown and smaller roots are now spreading and so grows bitterness. It starts in one area of our heart's garden and before long, every area is affected by bitterness. It's like when you are making a pie and your sugar to cinnamon ratio is not right. How many's ever done that? Yowie, wow. The bitter flavor from cinnamon without sugar is carried throughout the entire pie. And I can speak from experience that cinnamon without the proper amount of sugar is extremely bitter. It is not a pleasant taste. Often in our lives, people hurt us, they take advantage of us, they betray us, or even take credit for something that we have done. It is the most destructive and dangerous of all human emotions, and if not dealt with, we will spiritually destroy the person. It will spiritually destroy the person who has that root of bitterness. Often people belittle us to elevate themselves and, and treat us badly, often due to no fault of our own. It's the feelings of hurt and resentment, anger, and even hate that can build up in our hearts when we have been hurt by another person or by an experience in life. It can, direct, it can be directed towards other people and even toward God. Sometimes we just get kind of bitter towards God. You didn't do this. You didn't change that. You could have, but you didn't. Those are all the startings of bitterness in our lives, and we need to stop. It can rob us of our peace and joy. It can open the door for Satan to control our life. It can lead to loss of good friends. It can hurt or destroy our relationship with our families, our husbands, our wives. It can even break up homes. It can make peace and harmony impossible, and it can keep you from growing in the Lord. And it will defeat you and ruin your life and the lives of those around you. Have you ever been around somebody so negative and bitter? Oh, my stars, you'd rather just walk on hot asphalt than to go talk with them. It's difficult, especially when you're a Molly Sunshine. It's difficult to hear somebody who is always, always complaining. <clears throat> they never have anything positive to say. It's always, it's always coated with bitterness. It's difficult. It's difficult to be around somebody like that. 
So we need to first, we need to pray for that person, obviously. Um, once again, the best plan of action against such bitterness is forgiveness. <sighs> Seriously? Forgiveness. You till the ground of your heart with prayer, and you allow the Holy Spirit to work in you and help you to forgive. I know it's not easy, and I don't stand here in judgment of anyone or say that it isn't easy. It's an area of struggle for me. I, too, have been hurt in the course of my life, and I have found out times that I, I thought that I was prayed up over a situation, and I'm okay with it now, and I'm, I'm, I'm functioning, I'm doing well. But the beautiful plant on the surface is not reflective of the bitter root that was growing below. I only tidied up the top of the plant. I only sprayed the top of the leaves to make them shiny and beautiful. I didn't deal with the root of the problem, the root of bitterness. The first step of an alcoholic is to admit, A, that they are one, and B, that they need help. I am a believer who struggles with bitterness, but I refuse to allow it to consume my garden so with the help of the Holy Spirit, we work on ridding the garden, and just as diligent, Satan works on magnifying to me when someone shuns me, or doesn't acknowledge me, or has done something to me. He is quick to say and bring to my attention, I think they were talking about you. I think they meant you. They are speaking about you. That comes to me, and so I have to fight that off. I have to put on that shield, and I have to fight those arrows that he keeps shooting at me, those weed seeds that he keeps shooting at my garden and telling me I don't measure up. You're not quite good enough. And in turn, that makes that root of bitterness from past experiences begin to grow again. And so it's, you know, it's just, I, sometimes I feel like it is a constant battle to guard against those kinds of things. It's a constant battle. I have no resolve. I have nothing that I can do except go back to the Holy Spirit in prayer and ask to make me strong and not allow that bitterness to grow in me. I'm constantly battling that. I have my times that, I mean, it's not quite as, as prevalent as what it used to be, but there are those times that it still rears its ugly head and I still have to come back and, and deal with it and not allow it to grow, not allow it to grow. And don't just make the top of the plant look shiny, Ty. Deal with what's below. <clears throat> Lastly, rocks of offense. I'm offended. I'm offended. That offends me. These are like offenses that we hold from our past hurts. Someone has offended us, and we can, or we can even become offended at God. We begin to build a protective wall around our rock. 
while we try to ignore its existence, it continues to growing and can become a threat to our spiritual life. It creates a blockage, so to speak. Nothing gets in and nothing gets close to my rock because I own that rock. I was offended, and so I get to keep that rock. I was offended. It's mine. I get to hold on to it. I get to say what gets to come in and what does not because I'm offended. We were treated rudely or carelessly spoken to, but Matthew 6 and 12 says to forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. When someone offends you, they become a debtor to you. They owe you something. They owe you an apology, if nothing else. They owe you an apology, something in return. But Jesus teaches us that we must forgive them of their debt to us. We must forgive. Really? Seriously, God? Sometimes, don't you just want to say that to God? Are you kidding me? Seriously? No. No, 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 God. That's not how it should work. They should come. They should kneel down in front of me. And they should say, Ty, I so humbly ask you to forgive me of the trespass against your feelings. Yes, your meatloaf was fine. It was a little dry, but it was fine. But that's not how God works. I don't have to do that when I screw up and I hurt somebody's feelings and I go before God and to that person and say, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry I said that. I'm so sorry I used that tone with you. I am so sorry. I don't, I, don't have to, I don't have to get down and beg God to forgive me. And so why am I expecting that of another human being? Sometimes when we're offended about something, we take that self-righteous stand, and they need to come humbly to us and uh, suck it up, buttercup, you owe me an apology. But that's not the way God works. That's not the way he wants us to interact with one another as brothers and sisters. And this is another parable that I just love. It ministers to me. And that's in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 35, for those of you who are note takers. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. And I will tell you that he's talking about in the course of a day. 70 times seven, so does that two, 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 uh, two what? 490. 490? Wow. Oh, that was a little more than I thought. <laughs> that was a little more than I thought. Wow. 490 times in one 24-hour period, you are required to forgive snap not sure that's a lot that's that's pushing your patience button a lot <laughs> that is exhausting yes that is exhausting therefore the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his account up to date with his servant who had borrowed money from him 
In the process, one of his debtors was brought in whom owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered him that he be sold along with his wife, his kids, and all of his belongings. The whole kit and caboodle, as pastor would say, sold. Get rid of it. I want my money back. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me. I will pay it all. And then his master was filled with pity and released him and forgave him the debt. But then the man left the king. He just left the king, walked out of the door to the palace, and went directly to the servant that owes him money and said to him, uh, you who owe him, uh, let's see, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. It wasn't a few million dollars. It was a few thousand dollars. Comparison, millions, thousands, millions, thousands. Get the picture. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little bit more time. Please be patient with me. I'll pay you. Oh my goodness, isn't that what just he just said to the king? Oh, be patient with me, I'll pay it all. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put into prison until the debt could be fully paid. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset and they went to the king and told him everything that they had seen happen. Then the king called the man in that he had forgiven and said, you evil servant. Oh, God, please don't ever say that to me. You evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous millions debt because you pleaded with me. You should have had mercy on your fellow servant, thousands, just as I had mercy on you. And then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he could pay his entire debt. This man could never pay that debt. He could never pay off millions of dollars. That's what the heavenly father, our heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Eeks, from your heart. Not from the shiny plant that's growing above the ground, but from your heart, down deeper, down below the surface. So we have been uh, forgiven so great a debt that we could not pay ourselves. And thank you, Christ Jesus, for paying my debt. Amen? Amen. Uh, Brookie, would you pass those out, please? So this morning, let's symbolically deal with these unhealthy things growing in our garden. Let's deal with all of these things that contribute to an unhealthy garden space. Dead things, weed seeds, roots of bitterness, and rocks of offense. You may have one, you may have two, you may have all of these things at some point in time growing in your garden. We need to get rid of it. We need to do some tilling up and we need to do some pulling up and get rid of those things. They are taking up space that God would like to plant fruitful seeds in. 
Hopefully, the Holy Spirit has turned over the soil in your heart this morning just a bit and has brought to the surface some things that need to be dealt with. This morning, I want you to give a few minutes to write down on this piece of paper that Brookie is handing out. Oh, and girls, I'm speaking to the girls right now. We are so good. We keep track. We keep dates, conversations, words that were said. What do you mean my spaghetti's too salty? I mean, we keep track of all of those things because that's kind of how girls are. And so this morning, I want you to write down. I want you to write down some of the stuff that's been growing in your garden that you need to get rid of. The dead things, the, the weeds that are growing up in there. You need to, to write those things down today. Today, May 30th, 2021, we are going to clear our garden of all the unnecessary items that have accumulated. We're going to clean out the garden. And then we are going to take our paper that we've written all of those things on. We're going to take our paper and we're going to fold it. And if you need room from your spouse, don't, don't be offended, spouses. If you need room, turn a little bit, jump over a chair, whatever. But get in your own garden space. Don't pay attention to your neighbor's garden space because you're not required to clean up their space. You're required to clean up your own. Write it down, fold it, and the band is going to come and play. And then after, at the closing of service, when you leave, I brought a really nice shredder. Yeah, I did. Nobody's going to see what you wrote on your paper. Nobody's going to know it. This is between you and God. This is between you and him. The thing that, the root of bitterness. Oh, I don't have enough space for that. <laughs> all of those things that don't belong in your garden anymore that's just taking up and cluttering and God doesn't have space to grow those great seeds that he's wanting to plant in your life you write them on here and you fold it and when you leave you shred it it's done it's shredded it's over with and this morning when I was praying about this and and I could envision, you know, writing it all down. And, and when the, the band was done playing and everybody was leaving, and we go and we shred that. And yes, we have done that. We have done that. It's all gone. And I take a few steps, and then I start thinking about it again. So what I've really done is I've, I've taken all the weeds, and I put them in a pile, and I'm burning them. And I'm like, well, well, I'm going to take this one out. I'm not ready. This one I'll take out. I'll take care of this one. I'll take care of it later. Don't. Don't. When you run it through the shredder, run it through the shredder and leave it there. Don't pick it up. Don't visit it again. You've dealt with it. And I, I'm, I'm talking to somebody here this morning. When you give it to God, when you really surrender it out of the garden and you have shredded this, it's done. It's done. We are symbolically doing something this morning. We are cleaning it out, and we are getting rid of it. 
don't pick it back up. Don't allow it to come back into your life. Am I making sense this morning? Okay. Okay, so I, pardon me? Oh, <laughs> true story, right? <laughs> As you leave, make sure that you put your list in the shredder. And so my closing scripture as the band comes this morning is in Philippians 3 and 13. It says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, this one thing I do, I haven't got it all together, but this one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind me, and I reach forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm forgetting those things which are behind me. I'm forgetting the stuff that's in the garden. I've cleared it all out, shredded it. I've taken care of it, and I'm moving forward toward the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus, the high calling of being a Christian, the high calling of being a a witness. uh, That's what Christians are called. We're called being a witness. But if my witness is so filled with bitterness and, and, and ugly words, how am I being a witness for Christ toward that high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not. I'm falling short. That doesn't mean that he's going to cast me aside, though. That just means I need to work a little bit harder. I need to jump on that bike and start getting in rhythm with God. I need to get in tandem with him. So as the band begins to play, I just want to pray over your sheets of paper. So, Father, we are just asking you this morning that you would take the dead things, the weed seeds, the bitterness, and the rocks of offense that have plagued our garden space. That as we shred these, that you would remove them from our hearts never to be visited again by them. And when the enemy tries to bombard our mind, we are going to tell them that on May 30th, 2021, this was dealt with. Me and God already took care of it. So Satan, nope, not going back there. Father, I pray that every person this morning that hears this word will take it to heart really take it to the garden of their heart. And Father, I I pray that you would help us all in in the everyday struggles of stuff. Some days are better than others. I pray that you would help us. We love you this morning, God. Continue to work in our gardens and plant those things that are fruitful for a believer, fruitful for a witness of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, son.